Hi, this is Craig. Thanks again for tuning in. As always, we're going to hear a message from the Lord on how to live the Christian life. All the messages that I share on here are downloaded from God. And He gives me topics and He gives me words to, 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 to share. And it is just an amazing time. And as many of you might know, I get a lot of these in the middle of the night when, of course, we're quiet and there's no interruptions. And that goes along with today's message, too. Anyway, today's message is titled, Why Did You Let That Lie Get Into My Spirit? And now in previous messages that I've shared on here, you've heard the fact that words can hurt or they can heal. We can injure or we can have words that we can build people up. Which one are you today? Which one have you been this past week? Now, the words of Jesus, they are totally different than our words. They're, they're words that he spoke that were full of spirit and life. And once he passed by a fig tree, and there was no fruit, and he was expecting some. So he said to the tree, no man ever eat of your fruit again. And the next morning when people passed by that same tree, the disciples were amazed to find that tree that had shriveled up from its roots. Jesus' words have power. And by that I mean, I'm going to try and address why do words take root with some people, but not with others. This applies to good words as well as the bad words that we might hear or be spoken into us as the case may be. Now in Psalm 77 verse 2, it says, I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord, but my life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. And when friends said, everything will turn out all right. I didn't believe a word they said. That's an interesting text. Here, I believe that he's he, the, 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 the psalmist here talking is trying to comfort, but his own heart and mind wouldn't let him get there. It's like a sick person that they refused all offers of nutritious food, right? And they were strong and reasoning against their own souls, and they resolved against everything that might be a comfort and support unto them. And, and, what we want to talk about here is be resistant to negative words, but be more receptive to good or encouraging words, right? Be resistant. Stand afar. Turn around. Get out of the situation. Stand on Jesus' word. Resist that. But then when we're being receptive, listen. Open your ears. Open your mind. Open your heart and receive all the goodness that is shared unto you. Now, when Moses first told the, the, the children of Israel that God was going to set them free, they were very resistant. And I always kind of wondered why when I read through these passages. Why, why were they so resistant? Because I believe it was a lot of the unknown. They'd lived that way for probably most of their lives, many of them. And there were so many unknowns that they were afraid more than anything else. In Exodus 6, verses 6 through 9, it says, Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. When I will take you for my people, I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. 
and I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. And verse 9 goes on to says, So Moses spoke thus unto the sons of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses on account of their despondency and their cruel bondage. What a great promise here. But what a poor response. Jesus will explain that it all comes down to the soil condition over Mark 4. Mark 4 verse 20 it says, But the seed planted in the good earth represents those who hear the word, embrace it, and produce a harvest beyond their wildest dreams. Seeds won't grow well in a lot of soil conditions, but with the right conditions, there'll be a harvest beyond your dreams. Now, some people, they carry the wounds, excuse me, they carry the wounds of words for decades and decades. And they blame others all the time. It's always someone else's fault. While others have a reasonable part in it, the real truth is that the wounded person had the soil conditions that let that hurt take root inside. They were not resistant. They they let it take root. They need to have, apply that spiritual roundup to get rid of it. Right? As in the natural, there are products that kill weeds, right? We get them all out there to do our yards and our gardens and so forth. So in the spiritual sense, there are remedies for hurtful words that have been spoken into your spirit. And you can dislodge them even though they have been there for decades. The blood of Jesus, forgiveness, and resolving to stop nurturing and protecting those negative words. That is your spiritual roundup, the blood of Jesus. Now, some people, unfortunately, have it backwards. They've been resistant to good words and receptive to the bad ones. Words in and of themselves have no power over you. It is just spin. It just put that in there, decides how it's going to settle in your heart. How is your heart conditioned? How are you going to receive? How are you going to resist? But what? here's a thought here. What affects our ability to resist the bad and receive the good? Right? How about um, uh, timing of the communication? Like, like I alluded to early on here today, the timing of it. Where are you in your life? What's going on? What, uh, what, what are affecting your mind and your heart at that time? How about temperament? Are you mad? Are you glad? Are you happy? Are you sad? Are you depressed? Are you joyful? Your temperament to resist the bad and receive the good. What is it? How about your self-talk? Who's listening to it most? What are you saying to yourself? What are you talking yourself into? What are you talking yourself out of? Life experiences is another one. Exactly. What has your life done? What have you done throughout your life? Good, bad, regrets, freedom, bondage, what you know, what what is it? And then you, of course your your spiritual condition. Where is your heart and soul on the days? when different words are spoken into you. Be resistant to the bad and be receptive to the good. Now, as most of us do, we, we have a luxury of hindsight from past events in our lives. And I'm just like you, like everybody else. But I realize I'm not the first person to be caught off guard by the devil. No, not at all. We all are at times. 
Many times, though, when this takes place, I've asked other pastors who are more seasoned than I am and more knowledgeable than I a simple question. Can you cast a devil out of someone who doesn't want you to? Whoa, that's a pretty deep one. But I found that their answers show me that a number of them would have been better prepared for a, a day than, than I was in, in my experiences. Though they may have dealt with it much better than I did, but honestly, some of them don't, they, they can't even answer the question. It's like, oh, gosh, Craig, I, I don't know. I'm going to have to really think about that a little bit more. Or I've never thought about that. Or that's never been an issue in my life. Any kind of response like that, right? But I have heard uh, one of the best answers, even though it kind of deflected from my, my question, one of the best answers I ever heard was that Jesus could. Jesus could. Now, for a short time here, I want to share part of a message I heard preached before. And if I had a lot of time to sink in, I'd, it really would have helped me in some of my um, uh, experiences. But it's based on the scene in Matthew 17, where a father brings his demon-possessed son to several of the disciples. Peter, James, and John, well, they weren't there. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. But the man implores that they cast out the demon out of his son, which caused him to fall into fires and then into water. Well, the, the preacher talked about the disciples being full of pride and reaching for their spiritual six-shooters, so to say, and they started saying all kinds of religious things. But to no avail. We bind you, Satan. We command you to come out. They made all kind of a lot of noise with their spiritual guns, but in reality, they were just shooting blanks that day. They weren't able to cast the demon out. And after their failure, the father finally comes up and finds Jesus and begs him to do something and tells him the disciples didn't get the job done. Well, Jesus rebukes the disciples, saying, Oh, unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. Jesus cast the demon out. The disciples later asked him privately, Well, why, why couldn't we do it? What Jesus told them, it was because of the smallness of their faith. And some translations add the need for preparatory prayer and fasting beforehand. But one interesting point here that this pastor made in his message was that it wasn't in the middle of the battle that Jesus called them faithless and perverse. It was when they gave up and they thought that it couldn't be done. And then he rebuked them. And then he went on to say, God doesn't rebuke us when we are fighting even though the battle may not be going our way. But when we give up and we stop trying, that's when he rebukes us. This pastor shares this message. Now he goes on, and I just kind of want to share what he shared in, uh, as he continued on in his message here. This is his words right now, and I am just so sorry I cannot find the notes of what his name was and. I have to give credit to somebody else on this next little session. But the, the pastor, he goes on to say, he says, well, since he didn't want the demon cast out the person that he's uh, referring to that he was struggling with so much, I asked if he'd let me pray for him. And well, like that was going to go anywhere, right? And again, this, this person said, no. It was just like another shot in the back of the head for me. And this time, 
though I seemed to get my wits about me quicker, I thought to myself, you can't get a demon's permission to pray. Why even ask him for it? That's just silly. Just do it. Well, then the only time that night I was aware of it, I felt like the Lord spoke to me and told me to do something. I felt like he said I was to bow my head, close my eyes when I prayed. Oh, when, when it, in a group setting, it's probably what I would normally do, but not on this night. No one around me knew the conversation I was having with God in the middle of the session. Lord, this guy's threatening to punch me in the stomach. He's th threatening to throw me out the window. And you want me to close my eyes in front of him? No way. No way. I'm keeping my eyes on this guy the whole time. But God, in that convincing way, made it clear I was to bow my head and close my eyes. In my mind, I submitted to the will of God, and I bowed my head and got ready to pray. Perhaps, though, this was the first step of faith needed to give us this miracle to get the upper hand and turn the situation around for this man. I bowed my head and I began to pray. And the unthinkable happened. This preacher goes on with his, uh, with his message. He says, The guy I was with began to speak out louder than me in a demonic tongue. And what I mean by that is he was speaking in a language I didn't understand and what I'm sure he didn't know either. I knew it was the devil speaking through him. And that completely knocked me off my balance. I got confused. I couldn't even think straight. Took everything I had to keep my thoughts straight and finish my prayer with my eyes closed. I'm not even sure what I prayed that night. His actions just rattled me so much. The only thing I remember is something about God getting the devil out of him in Jesus' name. But I was blown away by what he was doing than what I was doing. This was so far from the script of the way I thought and, and expected this evening was going to go for me. I was going to waltz in the room, cast out the devil, and leave the conquering hero. That's what I thought. And that is so very far from what happened. But that wasn't the final blow of the evening, not by far. As I finished praying, I lifted my head and I looked at him. And he looked at me and said one of those crushing things I've ever heard in my life. You didn't do anything to me. I knew I was hearing directly from the devil at that point. He had just told me the score of the game was devil 100, Christian 0. I was devastated in my shock. I had my clock clinging for sure and in no biblical frame of reference to handle it. I did two things for the next couple of years over and over. One was inconsequential. The other, extreme importance, though I didn't fully realize it at the time, he said. The first was to ask every pastor and every Christian leader I could. He asked the same question that I've asked before, right? Can you cast out a demon from someone who doesn't want to cast out? I heard every possible answer under the sun. And then I heard the most. Well, they were unsure and they were unable to think. He ran into the same people that I did when I was asking that, those questions to other pastors running through uh, situations that I've experienced. He didn't get a satisfactory answer either. Well, the other thing that he decided to do was every time he thought of the situation, he prayed for this guy to be delivered and set free. Because it didn't happen that night when he was there, I remember. The strange thing was, he says that every time he prayed, I felt like I was in the back of that room and I felt the oppression of the night all over again. It was like I was still fighting it face-to-face, toe-to-toe with the devil. And this was sometime after he had left and moved on. It was hard to pray. He didn't do anything for me. That phrase just stuck in his car. That's all that he could remember from that night. Discouragement, right? Just what we've talked about. Resistant to the, to the bad words and receptive to the good ones. He was stuck on that 
He was receiving the bad words. It was tearing him down. It was bringing this pastor down. He just could not work through it at all. He continued on with the story that uh, to kind of finish up what he'd been talking about here after he continued saying how bad things were and he just couldn't get through it and he wasn't sure whatever happened to this guy and so forth. And so I don't want to belabor and carry this on too long, what he said. But there is this one thing, uh, one one more uh, little thing I want to share that uh, this, this pastor shared. He says, and he's telling a story. So this is a secondhand. I'm telling the story that he told. A woman hired a mason to take down a stone wall. And she wanted to give it more open field for her living area. Sure. Well, the man, he was a slight stature. And he brought with him just a small sledgehammer. As, to, as opposed to, you know, the one big monster ones that we would take, right? To be destructive and tear down a wall and bust open walls and so forth. He just had a small one. And he began to hit the wall with a small hammer. And... It really had no effect at all. And, and the woman was observing this and watching him and, and just uh, could not figure it out. Well, as the story goes, memories of the he had a memories of a cartoon where one of the characters hit a solid object with a sledgehammer, but it always seemed like nothing would happen. It would just sit there. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. This mason... He didn't say a word back to the lady, and he held up his hand as if to say, Oh, be patient, be patient, just, uh, okay, be quiet, just be patient. And on the 39th swing, cracks appeared in the wall. On his 40th smack into that wall with that small little sledgehammer, the wall began to fall. I, I'm sure he said something else there, but I just can't remember what, I, I just, it, it just... Can't remember what it is. But all I heard is that I need to get victory in my situations. And it, this is me talking now. And, it, and if it was the Holy Spirit that slapped me and said, why did you receive those lies into your spirit? That when you prayed in the name of Jesus, thinking something would happen and nothing did. Why did you receive the lie from the enemy? I was just, I was taken aback here. Just, I didn't hear the rest of the message that that pastor was sharing about that wall and the lady and how it finally cracked. I just, I was consumed with, you know, uh, why? Why that I let that lie get into my spirit? And that's my question for you. What we're talking about. Why did you let that lie get into your spirit? Why are you letting those lies get in? Don't do that. Resist those. Be more receptive to what God says in the positive. Be more receptive what pastors and elders and friends and those that speak positive into you. Receive those and hold on to those. But resist those other ones. In Luke 18.1, we find these words. And he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Well, the word translated faint is echokeo, and it means to be utterly spiritless, to be wearied out, to be exhausted. It also implies quitting and giving up. You know, sometimes Christians get knocked down in their fight with the enemy. But we have a great trainer working in our corner. A trainer, he won't let us live in defeat over that enemy. 
because he conquered him at the cross already for us. Now, I've shared this story a number of times, but whenever I say the line, why did you receive that lie in your spirit? And when you prayed the name of Jesus, nothing happened. It's as if that Holy Spirit's going around the room gently slapping people back to their spiritual senses. Don't back of the head. Wake up. Wake up. Now, I'm not alone in the mistakes that I make in days and days and days, but many others have quit praying for their spouse or quit praying for their health or their children or the unsaved loved ones because a lie has been told to them that it wasn't making a difference. Or because they felt such warfare when they prayed that they were tricked into quitting. Remember, it isn't when the battle is hot and you're fatigued and things aren't going your way that Jesus rebukes your unbelief. It's when you quit. When you quit and you give up, you stop trying. That get, gets the Lord upset. I want to just say with you that may God by his Holy Spirit pull out all those lies of the enemy that have been sown into your heart and that you have watered by complacent agreement with them. I'm going to close right now. And one last question. I wonder... How many have given up too soon in their battles of life? Are you one of them? Galatians nine or Galatians six verse nine says, "And let us not be weary in well doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not." Look it up, soak on it, and receive the positives. Resist the negatives. Because you have God in your corner. And we know he's already been victorious over the enemy. Amen.